So there I was, paralyzed from the neck down in the hospital. And I'd been there 14 days. This was my second time to be in the hospital. They tried every medication that was available because once you're in the hospital, they can try different treatments, just not as an outpatient. So they tried everything, but I was so resistant to medication that they were testing me for colon cancer. They checked me for lung cancer. They were checking me for all this stuff because it didn't make sense that I wasn't getting better. Mm. And I was there for 14 days, paralyzed from the neck down. I had lost my voice for the most part. My lungs were going paralyzed. So if they continued to go paralyzed, I would need to be on a trach. My colon was weak, which was a good time. Mm. And <laughs> the doctors came in and said, I don't know what to tell you. There's nothing else that we can do. We've done everything. We tried everything. And these are really, really good doctors. It was UT Southwestern. Yeah. Really amazing. I cannot recommend them enough. But, you know, at, at that point, you know, they couldn't justify to insurance to keep me there anymore because I wasn't improving. They tried everything and tested me for everything. They can't just let me lay in the hospital paying on, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so my, my parents came and got myself to take me home from the hospital. And I thought to myself, why am I not getting better? Um, we, so one, the one shot podcast, what do we say it is? It's equipping, empowering people to take advantage of this one shot that we have at life. Our guest today, um, is a friend of a friend and we were just reminiscing over passing each other years back. Uh, and you'll hear kind of this point of her story, but there's nobody I think that we've had on this show that has, um, epitomized taking advantage of this one shot at life more than our guest. So today, thank you coming live from her new home in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. We have Courtney Runyon. Thank you, Courtney, for joining us. Thank you, Tyler, for having me. I'm happy to be here. Oh, well, we're excited to walk through your journey, but let's just give our audience a chance to get to know you, where you come from, what your background is, where you grew up, family dynamics, kind of what your interests were early in life. I mean, We've got, we've got like a six, six hours block. So just yep. start at the beginning and let's get into the details. <laughs> yeah, <perfect>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my interest, my interest before was definitely having a good time. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's been something I've done my whole life, <laughs> but I'm from Plano, Texas, born, raised. And then I went to university of Oklahoma Sooners. Boomer. After that, moved back to Dallas, started actually working for a company called Ferguson. So I had to learn how to drive a forklift, did that for a year. I used to be able to throw on 80 pound bags of concrete, not anymore, not anymore <laughs> at all, but at one point I could. <laughs> and after that, decided to go traveling around the world for a year. So I quit my career, sold everything I owned, went backpacking around the world for a year through uh, a lot of places. I went through six continents. And when I got back, moved to Vegas, and uh, did the whole Vegas thing, but that's a summary of. Let's okay. Let's di- let's dig a little bit more into to a couple of those. Okay, so went to OU. Like, was your path growing up? Was it like, all right, I gotta go to college. I gotta get a job. Kind of the the typical American dream. And I'm throwing up air quotes for those that are just listening and not watching. <laughs> um, but was that kind of the mindset? Did your parents kind of say, hey, look, you gotta go to college? Did you want to? What was your early aspirations? You know, coming out of high school and looking towards college. Oh my gosh, that's so well said. Because I did, I, I remember waking up one morning 
and I'm a happy person, but I had this moment of like, why am I not excited to go to my job right now? Why am I not excited to go to brunch on Sunday and talk about Louis Vuitton? Like, why am I just like not excited about getting married and having kids at this time? And I did, I went through all that path. And that, that morning I got on Google and I Googled top 10 things to do before you die. And Carnival and Rio de Janeiro popped up on like every list. And I thought, cool, I'm just gonna shake things up and I go to Brazil. Uh, so that's kind of where I detoured. But absolutely, I mean, at that time I kept thinking, well, I'm gonna do what I'm supposed to, go to university, get a really good job, work hard, get married, start a family, buy a house, mm -hmm. do the whole thing. And it took a minute for me to realize that none of that was intuitive or things I was doing based on what I wanted. It was what I thought I should do for sure. Okay. For sure. Okay. What, what were your goals as a kid? Like, what did you grow? What, what did you say at seven, eight, nine, ten? 10 said, I'm going to grow up one day. I'm going to be this. What was that for you? I mean, I'm a little plain old girl. It was to be a cheerleader. There you go. <laughs> now we're talking. Now we're talking dream che Cowboys cheerleader, I assume. I mean, I was starting with high school, but yeah. Yeah. Was, oh, so that that was the aspiration was a high school varsity cheerleader. That that was the yeah. that was the pinnacle at that time. Did you go to West Plano <laughs> High School? No, I I went to the OG uh, Plano oh, Senior. There you Plano. go. Dang. There you go. Some yeah, gang some gangsters out of there. Yeah. What is that? The uh, the maroon and white is that Plano High? Is the what? Is what Plano High or y'all maroon and white? Is that is that the Plano High? Yeah, maroon and white. There the Wildcats. The Wildcats. Wild. Boom. Very All right. Nice. So so you go to OU. What was college like for you? College was pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, college was a good time. OU was a great school. But even still, I think I was a little free spirited for uh, Oklahoma, to be honest. But. <laughs> Went to, I, was, I went to the business school. That was another thing where I went to the business school because I thought that it would, it would be the best degree to do the best things in life, you know? Mm -hmm. That was a good degree to have, even though it wasn't my passion and I love psychology and that type of stuff, but didn't follow my heart, went with what I thought I should do, kind of that pattern. Yeah, so uh, we've got a mutual friend, Holly. Did you know her in high school? Because she went to Plano West, right? She didn't, she didn't uh, go to Plano High. She when did you went to Christian, uh, a Christian private school? Oh yeah, I forgot she's super. Rich. I met her I honestly that. because my high school sweetheart. We broke up, and he started dating Holly. Oh yeah. And then we were at a party, and he was doing what he does. And then her and I started talking. I was like, "Oh," and she said, "I like you better than him." They broke up, and we became roommates in college. That's awesome. So that's that's how most her. best friend stories start. Is like you dated my <laughs> ex. I feel like that's how most of them usually start, right? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so so she she left uh, the bum for for you. Made a smart decision. New best friend. You guys lived together at OU. Yeah, we okay. lived together for a year okay. at OU. Yes. All right. So so then you graduate. You come back to Dallas. You start working at Ferguson, um, and then you're like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I, I've got to I've got to follow my heart. I got to I got to live the life that like I feel like I. I was designed to live. So what was that decision? You, you mentioned that morning you woke up and you're like, what are the best things to do before I die? So to walk us through from that point on. Yeah. Booked carnival in Brazil, told all my friends, try to get some friends to come and nobody thought it was a good <laughs> idea to go to Brazil. I never left North America before, but it felt like a good choice. I posted on Facebook, some guy friends from high school met me down there. And I met these backpackers 
from all over the world. And I'm sitting there on the beach with them. They're telling me about their stories of backpacking through South America for six months or coming. They were just in Thailand. I was just like, wow, that's like, this is so foreign to me. That is so cool. And I, I was talking to this English guy, Dan, on the rooftop of this hotel. And I thought, God, I told him, I wish I could do that. And he said, well, why can't you? And it was such a magical question that I didn't think I could. And the minute he said, well, why can't you? I was like, you know, I technically I could quit my job, even though I worked really hard. Technically I could sell my truck and, you know, leave, buy a plane ticket. I guess technically <laughs> I could, but I just can't. And then on the plane ride home, that was just, I'd had one of the best weeks of my life and it was so eye-opening. And before you leave the United States, you think, in some of these places, oh, they're dangerous. You know, I'm gonna get mugged, I'm gonna get hurt. And all I did was meet the most loving, fun, cool, exciting people from all different cultures. And I just loved it. There's just such good people everywhere. And the flight home, I started crying and thought, oh my gosh, I need another taste of that. Like, I can't just go home and wake up every day and keep going to the same job, realistically speaking. Am I gonna stay at the same job with the same clients I have, with the same boss, with the same coworkers the rest of my life? No, probably there'll be changes. So even though I liked it, There'll be changes and it felt it felt more right to try this traveling thing so for i moved in with my parents to save money and four months after i'd gotten back from brazil i went in my boss's office and said hey i'm i'm quitting i'm gonna go travel around the world <laughs> what, what i was lying i thought i was going to go work for a competitor but i was like no really <laughs> no really I'm gonna, I'm gonna go away from here what did your What did your parents say about this? Like, what what was going on in their head when you were telling them about what you were trying to do? Yeah, it's the worst. It's some <laughs> of the worst words every mom wants to hear. My mom <laughs> cried. I mean, this was 2012, yeah. so y'all know what the economy was like in 2012, yep. and yeah. I was making a very good living. My mom said, "You know, there's people losing their jobs right now, and you're just you have a good one. You're making good money, and you're just gonna quit and do what? Go travel and." She's like, what if you fall in love with somebody in Australia? You're never going to come home. But yeah, she was, she was very upset. She, we talked about it the other day. And my mom said that she used to tell people, oh, my daughter, she's traveling around the world, bought a one-way ticket. And everyone would say, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. And she'd go, no, it's not cool. No, no, don't encourage <laughs> that. You're not her mother. You're not her mother. You know, it's funny. So we've had, we've had a couple Australians and a couple New Zealanders on, on the show over the last couple of years. And one thing that the United States is totally missing on is, is that year of travel, right? That year of like going out and uh, because that's like almost like it's culturally not, it's not required, but culturally that's what everybody does, right? They graduate, they graduate from university or they graduate high school and then they go travel for a year, like all over the world, just to understand like different cultures. And I mean, to me, I, I think that would have such a such a strong impact on our country. One, because okay, now we're we recognize what you talked about. Okay, we traveled, all we found was nice people. Like you learn to understand and respect other cultures. Maybe we could bring some of that back here and actually treat our, you know, uh the, our I don't know, what do you call people? Them? People. Yeah, but what do you say? <laughs> like same country. Like what would your our Neighbors, <laughs> neighbors. There you go. Our neighbors, right? With with the respect that the rest of the country does, like to tourists. I mean, think about. It, and you can tell us more. But this is because I've just heard it from 
other people because I've never gone, but like you go to Italy, right? And very easily you're just in a small little town and you get invited to come in, have dinner at somebody's house and then stay if you wanted to. Like imagine that happening in Dallas, Texas. Some, somebody that doesn't speak your language. Like, oh, no, 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 come on over. We'll cook yeah. you dinner, stay at that. No, that doesn't <laughs> happen here. But I just, if, if our, I say youth, but like, you know, the adolescent age, like imagine if we were forced to go and just travel, yeah. go on like a mission for a year and mm-hmm. just figure out kind of who you are and learn from all these other cultures. Yeah. No, the perspective would be, would be different for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here listening and, and how many years did you worked at Ferguson at this time from college to when you decided to leave? Yeah. Six. So I was six years. So you're 28. Okay. Yeah. So the thought that I had, life is so weird because you know, when you're a kid, the possibilities are endless, at least in your mind, right? There's so many different avenues I could pursue so many goals that I have so many dreams that I want. And then you, the funnel starts to narrow, right? As you get older and you can get into college and then you get a job. All of a sudden you look up six years later and you're like, I'm 28. I haven't really pursued any passion of mine in life yet. And now I'm having this midlife crisis at 28 saying, what am I doing? I'm not living. That's for sure. I'm just kind of going through the motions. And so it sounds like you had that wake up moment at 28 of like, if I keep going down this path, I'm going to be 40 and and never have really done anything that I wanted to do. Yeah. And you know, the fear of something is always worse than a thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So many people are like, oh, what if you travel? What if you move to Mexico? What if, what if, what if? But then like, once you get there, everything just falls into place. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's encouraging. You're exactly right. We just talked about this a few weeks ago. Yeah. How we always play it up in our head, the worst case scenario. We always yeah. go to the worst case scenario. And that, and that protects us, right? That's helpful. It's a helpful thing. But you're, to your point, how many times does it ever end up as bad as you played it up in your yeah, head? When you actually do go out and take a risk, like right. it typically, yeah. typically, I'm not saying you figure it, it out. always <laughs> does, but typically <laughs> it will work out, right? Maybe challenges, maybe harder than you thought, but you learn something right. and it works out. That's right. So, okay. So walk us through that travel journey. Like, okay, you came back, you told your boss, you said, I'm going to a competitor and <laughs> competitor in Europe. But what was that travel? What was that travel schedule like for you? What, what did you decide? Did you say, Hey, I'm just getting a one-way ticket to you. You said Europe. Is that where you went? Yeah, I started in Canada. It was, I don't know. It was wild. I, if I did it again, which maybe I will one day, I would do more of a slow travel. I was like, let's see the freaking world. Yeah. Every two, two to five days, I was in a new city, you know, flights, trains, whatever. So I would slow it down. But I started in Canada for Canada Day. Yeah. And those people can drink. I'll yes. tell you that. Wow. <laughs> yes, they can. I lived up there for a year. And yes, it's a totally My different culture. Well, gosh. when you're when you're locked inside for six months of the yeah. year, yeah. You, you learn to drink. <laughs> yeah. I sat down and he said, okay, we're going to do wine shots. I was like, okay, what's a wine shot? He said, you get a glass of wine and you chug it. And I was like, wow. A glass. A glass. Must be this metric. It must be this metric system you guys use up here. That, you know, we usually do a one ounce, a one ounce glass. <laughs> oh. oh, they put me in a Canada shirt. It was really cute. Yeah, that's but June 1st, here, right? Canada is June 1st? Oh, I think it's June 1st, that? right? Canada uh, Canada Day is June 1st, right? Um, yeah, Ish. I can't remember. Yeah, I think that's I think that's what it is. Anyway, Sounds you're right. in Canada. Canada Day, David. <laughs> what yeah, day is it? <laughs> All right. So you're in Canada. Do you start West Coast, work your way East? What was the, what was the thought process? 
Uh, I was only there two days. It was oh. just a layover on my way to Madrid. So I uh. would just went to Halifax and Toronto. Okay, nice. Very cool. All right, so <laughs> then. A wedding, spur of the moment, just fun. Nice. So <laughs> Canada A to where from there? Spain. And then I went all over most of Europe. Had to come back for a wedding or wanted to come back for a wedding. Then I did Central America, South America, a little bit of the Caribbean. Then I flew from Brazil to South Africa. And then from there, I don't know, I bought a bus ticket that didn't work out. So I went to the airport, you know, like you see in the movies. And I said, send me to Asia. Like the first flight, whatever's the cheapest way to get to Asia, just send me there. And they were like, man, you're going to have to buy that online. It's like, this is really killing this cool moment. But then I'm in the corner of the airport, just like on my phone. But anyways, went to Asia after that. And then... Uh, oh, what did you decide in Asia? Where'd you, where'd you start in Asia? Australia. Huh? Where'd you start in Asia? Where did you... The only places I went in Asia was Vietnam and Thailand. Okay. And Vietnam was one of my favorite. I, I think I went to about 30 countries and Vietnam was one of my top three. Wow. Awesome. It was really, really incredible. I went to the war museum in Saigon and, you know, I just wanted to see how people see the United States, you know, or what the other viewpoint is. And oh, I'll probably cry talking about it, but, and this was like 10 years ago. But, you know, there was this big mural of this young guy and, you know, leaving the war and he looks happy and it says, yeah, you know, he made it through the war. He goes home to his wife, gets to have that baby that he never thought he was going to have. And then his daughter is born without arms and legs because of the Agent Orange. Mm. I was like, oh, it just killed me. But leaving the museum, they have this big thing that says, you know, the United States is our friends everything's all good basically but yeah. i was i was really impressed by that museum and the vietnamese were were so kind and the country's so beautiful it was really neat so what are you doing in all these countries are you just exploring and kind of wake up each morning and just figure it out like what what's the point of of each visit or, or where you're going or where you're going next yeah you know i just feel so alive every time i walked on a street i've never been on mm. so i think it's just that exploring and seeing what's going to happen and who you're going to meet or what you're going to run into and seeing the different cultures and the different beauties. But yeah, you know, I, I stayed in mostly hostels mm. and it's not like the movie, <laughs> you know, they're like little bed and breakfasts yeah. really. But you know, you just meet all these other people traveling by themselves from all over the world. And then you go to dinner, you, somebody's like one day I was on my way to Chile, oh my gosh, okay, yeah. I, I was leaving Peru because I was so cold and I was, was tired of being cold. Did Machu Picchu, did ayahuasca. I was like, get me out of here, I'm freezing. Went south and I, was, I stayed on a bus until I got warm. So I was on a bus for like 20 hours. And then I met this guy from New Zealand. He said, I'm going north to Bolivia to see the salt flats. And I was like, I just came from north, I can't go back. It was really cool. So I went back north to Bolivia and saw the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in the whole world. The salt flats, the whole sky reflects off of the ground and it feels like, and looks like you're walking in heaven. So it was really, really neat. But I don't know, you just kind of roll the punches and see who you meet and so where you go. You mentioned earlier that like everybody thinks you go to the, some of these countries and especially, you know, areas in, in South America, Central America, um, it doesn't sound like you did much Middle East, but even some places, it, it can be very dangerous. Yeah. Um, so was there any times where you were like, okay, this is this little suspect, like Bolivia, for example, you know, historically there's been some areas there that have just been very, very dangerous. Funny you mentioned Bolivia because that was the very first thing that came to mind. It was the only time I actually really got scared. And I mean, I went a 
ton of places. Yeah. But I was responsible about it, you know, ish. I was 28. <laughs> but I get to the border of Bolivia and Argentina, and I stand in line forever, and it was so hot, and my backpack was so heavy. Stood in line for hours to walk across the border to Argentina, and I had researched, you don't need a visa. I get there, they don't know any English, I know no Spanish. And basically, we figured out through my Google Translator on my phone, they just changed the laws two weeks prior, you need a visa. Like, okay, well, where would I get one of those? And I was walking all over town looking for an internet cafe, and every time I walked in one, they started yelling at me, like, I said, oh my gosh. And after the third one, finally, somebody that knew English said, internet down whole city. I was like, okay, got it, comprende. And anyways, I'm back and forth with this bus at this bus place. And eventually there's no more buses and I have to stay the night at the border town of Bolivia. All every building, everything has bars on the windows. There's it started raining. I'm still trying to find a place to sleep. And I was scared because it was nighttime, it was raining. I was by myself in a border town of Bolivia. No one spoke English and I'm walking around trying to find this hotel. And it was really sweet. This guy that knows no English pops out from this building. Not scary. I was like, <laughs> not a good start to the story. Me, he brings me to safety and gets me a glass of water and just sits with me while I'm like bawling. So it was really like this special kind of moment. But after I collected myself, I did find a hotel and oh my gosh. And I took a shower and the shower is over the toilet. So you pretty much have to like sit on the toilet to shower. <laughs> And the TV didn't work, and I just called my mom. Oh, I bought a bottle of wine. I bought a yeah. bottle of wine and called my mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that day was scary. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask how much contact you had with your parents throughout all these travels. You know, if I did it again, I would contact them more because I love my parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was very, like, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. And they're wonderful, amazing people. But I don't know. I would, like, post on Facebook, Mom, Dad, I'm still alive. I'm going to Nicaragua tomorrow. My mom tells me to this day, she's got, I had social media or she would have like had a heart attack. Oh, man. <laughs> so money wise, I assume you're living off of what you had made at Ferguson all those years. You're just yeah, basically just yeah. dipping into savings and just going from there. Did you ever work anywhere? <laughs> Did you ever, were you ever anywhere long enough where you could find work or was it more just 100% travel and fun? Yeah. No, I, I had had savings from working Yeah. and just did it off of that. But you know, the idea of traveling, People think of it as really expensive because you're buying, you know, round trip flights mm-hmm. to somewhere pretty far and you're staying in a resort a lot of the time. But when you're doing like short one way flights or buses or trains and you're staying in these little like bed and breakfasts or hostels that are really affordable, then it's really not as expensive as people think. I spent 40,000 US dollars in that year doing, I was gone from the United States a whole year, 30 countries. Uh, doing anything I wanted. I mean, mm. I didn't skip out on any tours, nothing. And you only spent 40,000? Yeah, that's wow. what I mean. It, yeah, it sounds, it sounds like it would be more expensive than it actually it is does. when you're just traveling that way. Yeah, absolutely it does. So you wow. know what I'm doing in 23. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Tiff. Sorry, kiddos. <laughs> See you all in a year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, 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 inner, my inner adventurer 
is like loving the story. Absolutely loving it. But my logical brain is saying anxiety. this is this. It's yes. giving you anxiety. 100%. I'm like sweating over here. Like how in the world could you dip into your savings, leave your, leave everything, you know, travel over the world. Like it's very conflicting in my mind. What's going on right now? Was it conflicting at all for you or were you all in like, no, this is amazing. Only at first. Yeah. Like whenever I was talking to that dude and said, oh, I wish I could do that. I mean, I had all those thoughts. I was like, what about my friends? What about my family? Like, I can't have a gap year as yeah. a Texan. <laughs> like people are going to look at my resume and be like, you, you did what? You went to a salt club and blew it <laughs> But the thing is, things really do just work out uh-huh. when you trust your intuition and trust in people and Trust in yourself. Like yeah. things will just work out. Oh, They'll fall man. into place. That's a great, that's a great it. message. I love it. So let's go towards like the end of your trip. And I mean, it sounds like you didn't say, Hey, it's a year to the day. Like you kind of were just going with it. Like at what point were you like, okay, it's time to go back. Yeah. Cause I came back home for that wedding and uh-huh. I bumped into someone I used to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a vendor. Yeah. And he said, so you're not working right now. And I was like, nope. And I don't want to. (laughs) And he said, well, what if I held a position for you for six months and gave it to you when you got back? Would you be open to that? And I said, yeah. So I did have an end date because I I liked the company and the person. I did have a job to come back home to, but they gave me that six months to keep traveling so that, you know, this, that was the only way I was going to say yes. Were you ready to come back or could you have done it for longer? I could have definitely done it forever. Yeah. I was not ready to get back. I was, and then that job, something happened. Actually, to be honest, his wife told him he was gonna have to quit if I started. Oh, oh. I was a young girl. Yeah. 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 Anyways, uh, so the job didn't even work out, and I was pretty upset. I was like, man, I flew home from Australia to start this, <laughs> but um, it was okay. I found I found a different job right away, and that one was better. And I was there for six years oh, until wow. I got life. <laughs> So you travel for an entire year, 30 countries in one year, you come back, you start a job. My question is, what was the transition back like? Because Tyler, Tyler mentions he's traveled. I actually lived in another country. Tyler lived in another country. I lived in another country as well uh, for the first five years of my life. Have plenty of friends that lived overseas. Coming back to the States is different. Your perspective has totally changed. The people you interacted with for that year for you, totally different than anything you have here. What was that transition like back to the quote unquote comforts of, of the States? It was amazing. Really. I felt so free. Yeah. You know, when I, when I left the United States to go do that, anything that would have felt, I guess, hard to transition back into, I had already separated from. Mm. And when I came back, I chose not to reattach to some of those things or people or places or whatever. And just, I was, I knew the kind of people that, I felt the most alive and happy and impacted by. So I just found those people because I met so many of them traveling. Mm-hmm. And I love, I still, I love all of my friends I had before I left. But that transition back, you know, I, I found people and places and activities and things to, that felt natural after traveling yeah. mm-hmm. that I could engage with and so it basically allowed you to just cut the, cut all the fat, cut out all the unnecessary, like it, this, this is what's important to me and this is what I'm going to go forward with. Yeah. It's, it's really a heavy weight to carry anytime you live each day with what you should do. Mm. Yeah. It's really yeah. heavy. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Well, and, I, and you mentioned perspective, right? It's just like, 
when you when you go places where, like you said, you're just trying to find a place to put a roof over your head. You're literally just trying to, okay, where's my next meal going to be? And then you're you're living alongside cultures that you know are grateful to have you know scraps from a restaurant or just to eat, right? And they're super grateful. And you just see the perspective that they have for life, right? And how much they do love life too with so little. And and then you come back here and, oh my gosh, the contractor, he brought the wrong <laughs> marble slab for my countertops. Like this is the work. You know what I mean? It's just different, right? You just like, you don't sweat the small stuff like after mm-hmm. probably an experience like that. I mean, is that is that how it was with you? Yeah, you know, I... It's interesting because I never really sweated the small stuff yeah. and felt shame about it. Mm. I felt shame. Interesting. And when I went traveling, because I am just such a like no shoes, you know, wrinkly dress like person. And I always have been, but I felt so much shame about it. Like I, I should care about this. I should care about that. I should care about all this stuff and be this way and be perfect. Like I should look perfect, act perfect. And then when I went traveling, I accepted that I was that way and that that was okay. So when I got back, it was like, I still didn't sweat the small stuff as much, but I didn't feel shame about it. I was like, "Eh, well, it's not for me. You Uh, can sweat it. It's not mine. What a relief. Gosh. Yeah. 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 Would you say that's the biggest lesson that you took away from that year of traveling? What, What were some of the big lessons that you took away? Yeah, more or less. That really was the main thing because when I left, you know, I just wanted to, I didn't always feel really accepted and everything in Dallas, Texas or at OU just, you know, because the whole free spirit thing. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go travel and I'm going to be this like vegan Buddhist tango dancer. And everyone's going to be like, wow, that's so cool. And then by the end of the trip, I thought, you know, right. I, this traveling, didn't really change me. But it, it brought to light who I am and I brought to light that I'm okay with who I am. Oh man. Like when people call me crazy or wild, like I don't I don't care. Like that's my favorite thing about myself. That's that part of me that got me out with a shaman in the middle of the sacred valley of Peru. Like that free spirited crazy part of me. And I love that. Like I feel alive in that space. So it's okay. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. That's really cool. All right. So so you get home. Um, you work for, for this company, you said you moved to Vegas for a period of that time of the six years. Yeah. Yeah. It started at that other job, which my, I covered the Southwest. So Hawaii, California, Nevada, Arizona, and I traveled. So that's when I say I found ways to still express yeah. what I learned traveling to still be able to kind of continue doing it. But anyways, yeah, I, I started that job and then I went on a cruise met a guy, he lived in Vegas and I ended up moving to Vegas for him a couple of years after, or actually it was just a year after I got back and then lived in Vegas for three and a half years. And that's where I was when I stopped yes. walking. So, <laughs> yes. So, you know, we didn't preface in the beginning of this episode, um, everything leading up to this, honestly, has just been ad-libbed. I, I didn't realize that you had traveled that much, but I think that's an important perspective to I'm really glad that you shared that. Um, but Courtney's journey um, took a very uh, difficult uh, turn. And, and, but again, the, 
the story after is what's incredible and what she's doing now. But so talk us through, talk us through that, uh, that time, that really, really hard time. Yeah. And y'all are so fun to talk to, you know, I've been on a lot of people's podcasts and never get to talk about traveling or anything like that before. It's always, you know, tell us yeah. about being paralyzed. So thanks for, yeah, even- no, that was <laughs> super, like I said, Ben's super rigid. Like I'm looking at the outline right here and it's like, don't deviate, yeah. don't deviate, don't deviate, don't deviate. That's all we've done. I'm just yeah. Kidding. That outline we put the, no, I, I'm, I'm fascinated. Like, like, again, like Tyler said, we could do this for six hours. Like yeah. we, we aren't even close to scratching the surface of 30 yeah. countries yeah, in a I mean, year. There's, there's an hour we could talk about Bolivia. There's an hour we could talk about Chile. There's an hour we could talk about yeah. South. Southeast Asia. Yeah. I mean, let's get, yeah. But let's, for our listeners sake, because right. they're probably getting to their destination here pretty quickly, but, uh, <laughs> let's, yeah. So, so talk us through, talk us through that, that really, really difficult time. All right. We're going to take a quick break from this episode with Courtney. Hopefully you guys are getting some out of this. It's an incredible story. Uh, stick around because, uh, we're going to hear a lot more uh, about the challenges that she faced that are just unthinkable. Uh, but really quickly, we want to take, uh, the opportunity right now to to thank our sponsor Choctaw uh, Casino and Resorts. Uh, it's really hot in Texas right now, like really, really, really hot. Uh, and I really would suggest a quick drive up seventy five. Go enjoy the resort style pools, swim up bars. They make frozen drinks. They made ice drinks. Whatever kind of drinks you want to cool you off, they've got. They've got over three thousand new slot machines down in the casino. This whole new expansion is just off the charts. We're actually on our way up there here soon to spend a couple of days. Cannot wait to get up there. But Choctaw Casino and Resorts, go check them out. This is the perfect time of year just to escape the heat. Go in either a, a well air conditioned casino, uh, see a show, see a movie or outside of the pool, either, or you can't lose head up 75. It's just a short drive. Yeah. You know, I always thought traveling around the world was going to be my big story. You know, we all have that crazy thing that happened or that thing we achieved that we're just like, yeah, like that's one of my defining moments of my identity and my life. And I always thought that'd be it. And I'm living in Vegas. I'm so in love. I mean, it was the love of my life. And I, Vegas is okay. You know, it's always sunny. It wasn't my first choice, but, you know, mm-hmm. I had a good time. I, I met this amazing group of friends, having so much fun. I liked my job a lot. got to still travel. And I was really, really happy. And I always thought if you're happy, you know, I was meditating every day, green smoothies, you know, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I always thought, you know, if you're taking care of yourself and you're happy, then you'll be healthy. So when I started getting numbness in my finger, numbness in my ankle, at first I just thought, okay, well, I'm dehydrated. I need some B vitamins. This is really weird. But then there was one night I was wearing high heels and my ankle started rolling and I couldn't walk on high heels anymore. I was like, okay, something is really weird happening to my body right now and I don't understand it. So I went and got acupuncture. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) and that didn't help and I didn't even know understand that weakness has anything to do with your nerves that's how like detached I was from you know neurology and immune or whatever but I went to the doctor they referred me to a neurologist and I just kept getting weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker until my arms were completely paralyzed just dangling from my side 
and I was falling a lot. My leg, you know, when someone kicks you from the back of the knee, mm -hmm. it's like my favorite thing to do to my sister. <laughs> no, up. I go, I go knee to the back of the knee. It's like, <laughs> and I'll walk up like my wife's standing there talking. I'll literally just and just buckle her. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, it's terrible. <laughs> I know, I love that. I love that joke. But that would just happen to me standing. It would be like somebody kicked out my knees from underneath me, and they would buckle down. And all this went on for six six months without a diagnosis, without treatment, without anything. So your arms oh are God. your arms are paralyzed for six yeah. months, and nobody can figure out what's going on. Just progressively getting worse over those six months. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Progressively getting worse over six months. It took about I mean, it took about six months until my arms were totally paralyzed. Wow. And my arms, you know, I still have disability. Like I never fully recovered, but my hands got it worse than anything. Uh, you know, I still can't type on a computer or write. But anyways, that's really jumping ahead. So it took six months to get a diagnosis. And at that time I had paralyzed arms flopping around. And my diagnosis is CIDP, which stands for chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy. My neurologist said that out with lash. <laughs> What? what? <laughs> Are you speaking Spanish now? <laughs> it's like 180 syllables. That yeah. Just came out. But, so, yeah. yeah, so walk us through what that is. I mean, what does that, what does that technically mean? And we want the scientific approach. I don't want layman's terms. I want, I want really, really technical if we can. <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> well, it's autoimmune of the peripheral nerves. Most people have heard of multiple sclerosis. That's autoimmune of your central nervous system, which mm -hmm. is your brain and spine. Mm -hmm. Your peripheral nerves are like everywhere else, your face, organs, arms, legs. And so my immune system was attacking those, which is why I was flopping around. Wow. And do they know why? Is it, is it genetic? Is it random? Uh, is it? Autoimmune is such a journey. It's not genetic. Uh, and you know, that's the first thing is you want to find out why, why, why? Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, anybody, when you start yeah. losing capabilities, you start losing your health, start losing your marriage, whatever, you're like, why, why is this happening? But it's, it's such a puzzle and it's really hard to figure out what causes autoimmune. For me, I've pretty much figured it out, mm -hmm. but it took me years to kind of get there. And it's just different for everybody, but it's usually almost always, I would say 90% of the time it's stress related. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Crazy. I didn't expect you to go there to be honest with you. Um, so, so you get the diagnosis and, and then what is our treatment plan is cause obviously you went from a point in, and it, for, for those of you that, that have not seen or heard of Courtney's story, um, I would highly, highly suggest you go follow her on Instagram. You, you do a really good job of kind of highlighting your story. But, I mean, you went to a point where you were in a wheelchair, not walking. Um, again, can't use your arms. I think when we met, you were, you were in a wheelchair uh, at 60 Vines. And I, th I think you were moving your arms at that point, if I remember correctly. I think you were. Yeah, I was getting torn up that day because... It was my first day out of the nursing home. That's and right. Weeks, and I was like, let's get a bottle. That's right. <laughs> that is right. She, I she couldn't was... pick up a wine glass. Somebody had to feed me it or get me a straw, but it was, it was happening. <laughs> I only, I could only leave the nursing home for three hours. That is right. Uh, okay. Yeah. But no, when I met you, I was paralyzed in the neck down mm -hmm. and I got diagnosed from the Mayo Clinic. 
but I was still walking just barely, Mm -hmm. but I was, and I thought, okay, cool. I've hit rock bottom and I was trying everything to get better. I mean, I did all the anti-inflammatory diets, Dr. Joe Dispenza meditations, three hours a day. I was doing, you know, ozone, infrared, whatever. I was doing all of it, stem cells and none of it was working. And I thought, okay, well, at least I have a diagnosis and I can start treatment, you know, the Western medicine stuff. So they started me on medication and then it didn't work. Mm. And I got worse and worse and worse. And once I couldn't walk anymore, I mean, I remember the last time I took a step, I was walking from the bathroom to my bed Wow. and I took a step and I fell again and I almost hit my head and busted it on the corner of the bathtub. Like it was a, it's one of those corners, not round. Mm-hmm. And actually my ex-boyfriend's ex-wife was with me at the time. And she ran and got her boyfriend. They picked me up off the floor, put me in bed. And I was like, okay, okay. It's too dangerous for me to keep trying to walk. Like that's my last step. And I didn't walk again for nine months. Oh my gosh. But I kept getting worse and worse. And I, after that last step I took, I was admitted into a skilled nursing facility or nursing home so I could have full-time care. And I remember moving my fingers for the last time. I remember moving my ankle for the last time. I just would wiggle with a wiggle until it stopped. And I, and I knew it was going paralyzed. It was interesting experience, but I reached out to the doctor and said, Hey, I'm still getting worse. I'm not walking now. I can't even wiggle anything anymore. Like this isn't working. This treatment's not working. They said, give it time, give it time. They said, give it at least three months. And in that three months, that's when I got a lot of my permanent, permanent disability. Oh because you waited the three months. Mm. Yeah. I've, I advocated for myself, but not enough. Yeah. yeah. So, but <laughs> what's, how, how are you supposed to, I mean, you, we're supposed to, we're, we're conditioned to trust these doctors, uh, these doctors, right? Cause they're the smartest people out there and they've gone to school for this <laughs> yeah. and they're the experts. Right. I mean, you laugh cause I I'm laughing on the inside too. Cause it's like, um, some of these doctors that like I've come across my, uh, I'm not going to use the words, but like, Definitely not the smartest people that I've come across, for sure. They're just people, right? They're they're flawed. They're they have egos. They have all these things that everybody deals with. Um, but how are you supposed to know at that point that like, okay, these guys have no idea what they're talking about. Like, they're not. They're just following a protocol with whatever their medical rep says that they need to do and whatever the hospital says I can do. So, how do you? How are you supposed to know the difference there? Oh my gosh, you nailed it. Because I found out later that insurance doesn't let you apply for a different treatment until it's been three months. They won't approve it. You have to give every treatment three months to work. So I, I learned later that the doctor had their hands tied. But you can also reach out to the insurance company. You can try to fight it, try to get something different. But it's interesting because eventually when I did start getting better, it wasn't medication that was the reason. Mm-hmm. see uh, just a quick like hey your insurance is not going to pay for this but i i would advise you to give them a call and just fight it very simple Thank you. very simple yeah. in passing you don't have to put it in writing you don't have to you don't have to record it you don't have to just say hey mm-hmm. I w- here's a suggestion call your insurance company tell them to try something else yeah. so okay so what was that what was that what ended up okay so you three months and unfortunately terribly some permanent disabilities have stuck because of that yeah but what was what was 
What was the upside of the curve for you? When did that start? So there I was, paralyzed from the neck down in the hospital. And I'd been there 14 days. This was my second time to be in the hospital. They tried every medication that was available because once you're in the hospital, they can try different treatments, just not as an outpatient. So they tried everything, but I was so resistant to medication that they were testing me for colon cancer. They checked me for lung cancer. They were checking me for all this stuff because it didn't make sense that I wasn't getting better. Mm. And I was there for 14 days, paralyzed from the neck down. I had lost my voice for the most part. My lungs were going paralyzed. So if they continued to go paralyzed, I would need to be on a trach. My colon was weak, which was a good time. Mm. And (laughs) the doctors came in and said, I don't know what to tell you. There's nothing else that we can do. We've done everything. We've tried everything. These are really, really good doctors. It was UT Southwestern. Yeah. Really amazing. I cannot recommend them enough. But, you know, at at that point, you know, they couldn't justify to insurance to keep me there anymore because I wasn't improving. They tried everything and tested me for everything. They can just let me lay in the hospital paying on, you know, Mm -hmm. anyways. So my, my parents came and got my stuff to take me home from the hospital. And I thought to myself, why am I not getting better? I've tried every holistic thing I can get my hands on. I'd spent, I mean, I'd spent a lot of money. I'd done everything the Western medicine was had available. I was meditating. I was having a good attitude. I was just like, I, I had good support, good family. I got rid of all my stressors. I was just like, why am I at 33 years old not getting better? What is it? And I thought about all the things in my life that could possibly be causing stress, you know, because when you're in stress, you're in the stress response. And when you're in the stress response, it causes inflammation to the body, you know, so that you can fight and flight. Right. And I thought, what's causing me stress? And my boyfriend at the time, the guy I moved to Vegas for, he was the love of my life. I mean, we had to be there four years, but you know, he was one of those, you know, needed drugs, needed more girls, needed not working at the time. You know, he's like, mm-hmm. not like that anymore. And I thought, okay, well, is it possible, even as much as I love this guy, that he's making me sick? Mm. I called him and broke up with him. And I was like, I don't know what else to do. Like, your situation is causing me stress. And I'm really trying to, like, namaste over here. I'm trying to kumbaya. <laughs> and this is not, this is not in alignment with that. So I don't know what else to do. Like, I'm out of options here. Like my lungs are going paralyzed and uh, he understood. And then I started getting better two days later and I've only gotten better ever since. I've never had a setback, no nothing. No way. What was he like? Really what was he like the whole, the process from the, from the, the numbness of the fingers all the way to the hospital bed, paralyzed neck down. Like, was he there? Was it, now you obviously were here in Dallas, right? At this point. At that point I was, yeah. I had, I had, been back in Texas for a couple of weeks okay. because the nursing home I was in up by Vegas, uh, it wasn't, they wouldn't keep me there. I got kicked out by insurance because I was getting worse. So that was when my parents came and got me and brought me back to Texas. And then I went into the hospital at UT Southwestern. Okay. But no, you know, that's, that's a really, really hard position to be in the position he was in because it's easy for us to all say, you know, if my wife and my husband, if my partner got sick, like I would be amazing. I would be perfect. Mm-hmm. But it's like, once so, you're there, it's really hard because yeah. all of your needs, your pain points, your emotions, your schedule, your everything comes second. Like it's not as important. And, and then I know he took on the burden of like, 
I need to fix her. I need to heal her. And then everything we were trying wasn't working and he felt like failure. So it's just a really hard position to be in, but he did, he did fault to a lot of the times, you know, trying to paint a picture of that. Maybe I was overreacting. Maybe I was making this a bigger deal than it needs to be because it was easier for, from him and him and I've talked about this. It was easier from his viewpoint to downplay my situation and make what I was saying untrue and making what's happening to me, like I'm being dramatic than to admit, Oh my gosh, our life is changing and this is really serious. And you know, my girlfriend's really sick. Yeah. So once he did realize that, then he was awesome for a little bit. Yeah. He was awesome. And, and then he, he got burnt out yeah. after so, two months. Yeah. So who was your main caregiver day to day? Who was bathing you and feeding you and who was, who was with you by your side? that whole time like so many different people yeah i'm really i'm really really lucky yeah holly was one i remember i think holly dropped me off the toilet if i remember congrats correctly i I feel like i've heard that story yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah i had a lot of friends that helped a lot of strangers you know i I started posting on facebook my journey Uh. and it, it grew following you know i have probably over 50 million views on those videos so there was even people that Follow my story. Do you see how she just brings by that humbly? Just not just whatever. I mean, it's a couple <laughs> well, people. A couple people there to support me for sure. Just fifty million people just watching. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Well, the one well, shot. We're getting thirteen. We're getting thirteen views per video. People were following my story, and then they yeah. would come to my house and take care of me. People I didn't know just offered so that my parents could have a break. I mean, it was mm. it was wild. It was really cool. Uh, but my and like my best friend helped a lot as she was always moving me around. She would always put makeup on me and do my hair so that I would you know feel a little cuter when I was in the hospital and stuff. Um, yeah, there was there was so many. But but once I got to Texas, you know, it was mainly my my dad because he was strong enough. Mm-hmm. I don't know if y'all have picked up a drunk girl before, like a drunk drunk passed out girl. All the time. Just. Yeah, I did it last night. Uh, <laughs> that's what it was like to pick me up, except for I'm like looking at you. Yeah, yeah just and my body just completely heavy, and my dad yeah. was oh my, my dad was strong enough to move me around. You, you know, in in a lot of ways, you experienced the best of humanity. You had so many people in your corner, so many people helping you out. So, so in a lot of ways, there was as devastating as it was for you personally. There was a lot of good, I'm sure, that you can look back on that came out of that, but. In your darkest moments, when you were by yourself in your own head, what were you thinking? Like, what what was going on in your head? Did did you have this positive outlook? Was it was it devastation? I'm just very curious. What, what in the depths of your mind, what was going on during this time? That's deep. In the depths I was just saying, that, gosh. <laughs> yeah, Tyler, just sit back. We're, we're having one on one here. <laughs> yeah. No, I know just the story to share. I was in my wheelchair after I'd gotten out of the hospital and I kind of just started getting better. I remember I could like lift one of my shoulders and I'm sitting in the wheelchair, 33 years old, after traveling the world, living in Vegas, you know, all that stuff. And I'm just sitting there at my parents' house and thought this could be really sad. This could be really sad. I've lost my job. I've lost my home. You know, when I left my house, I left things by the sink on my side for when I got home and I I never came home. I never saw Mm. that condo again. Went straight to the hospital. I lost my love of the love of my life. I moved across the country from my main circle of friends. Couldn't 
wipe myself, couldn't change my own tampons. Like, I thought this could be really sad. Mm -hmm. But what made me more sad when I thought of that was this conversation I had with my mom. And I asked her, what was your favorite time of life? Your favorite age? She said, my 30s. I loved my 30s. It's the best age. And here I am at 33. I thought what makes me more sad is spending my 30s or the next few years or however amount of time wishing they were over, uh-huh. wishing I could just get through them so that then I could be happy once I can walk again, once I feel okay or sexy in my body again, because I know I've heard you guys talk on one of your podcasts about exercising, working out for the way you look versus the way you feel. Uh-huh. When you're paralyzed, you have no control over how you feel or how you look when it comes to exercise. You can't move. Right. And so I'm coping with a lot of these changes in my body and my image and, and so on. But I thought, okay, well, my 30s makes me sad to waste those and not love them and not be happy. Yeah. So I don't want to lose time, too. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, how can I love these years just as much as the years before and just as much after? Like, where's the opportunity here to love my life right now? So I started wearing costumes and that was hilarious. Like I would walk into, not walk, I would roll into some of these physical therapy gyms. And like, I remember this one guy's like 75 years old on the, on the bike. And he looks up and he's like, huh? <laughs> and I was like, how fun that I can make this 75 year old man recovering from a stroke giggle and chuckle like that. And it would make me laugh. And then Everywhere I rolled around in the nursing home, anyone who saw I had these crazy, like hearts, spiral hearts on my head, they would laugh and it made me laugh. So it was like instantly I changed my environment. And then there's such a power. There's a power in tragedy. There's a power when you get handed a challenge like that. And that power is like when you're in the energy field or when you're in the space of somebody else and you can show like, I'm happy even in a wheelchair paralyzed from the neck down, you give that person the space and permission to be happy with themselves too, to find their own strength in them too. And that is powerful. It's a powerful position to be in. I've noticed I don't have that power as much anymore now that I can walk. I'm like, man, it was easier when I was in a wheelchair. (laughs) But then I show them my hands and they're like, oh, I'm like, yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah, so the, there are other things, like even as I was walking again, I just constantly did that evaluation and asked that question of how can I make this easy and fun? How can I make this awesome? Physical therapy, I'm so over the yellow walls and the smell, and I love the therapist, love the therapist. Therapist, amazing. But I always looked around, I'm like, I don't belong here. I don't belong in a nursing home with everybody that's twice my age. So I decided to go to... Mexico and I lived in an an ashram for a month and did Hatha yoga. It was just slow enough. I could do it to work on my balance. And I decided, okay, when I can walk strong enough, I'm going to go hike the Camino de Santiago across Northern Spain, which is a 500 mile hike. And it's something I'd always wanted to do, but I never could do it before because I had a whole life. I had a, a boyfriend and friends and baby showers and a job with one week vacation a year. And I never was able to do that. And that was something really special about my life's changed. So my opportunities have changed. Uh Doors have closed, doors have opened. And now I can go hike across Spain. Mm. And that was something really cool to work towards when it came to rehabbing my body. Wow. Mm. (laughs) Gosh. (laughs) 
What I we're, we're just going to screw up I everything. Know. Every, every, I know. From here on out, like, yeah. My, I, I'm, like, jacked up. I'm ready to go now. I know. I'm ready to go run through a brick wall. Courtney, what I love, <laughs> what I love, though, and I, and I hope, hope everybody hears is there's always a choice. Yes. Right? You may not have... You may not have the choice on your autoimmune disease. You may not have a choice on external factors. But what you made a decision and you made a choice is, is I'm gonna I'm gonna bring joy wherever I'm at, wherever you know, wherever I'm doing therapy, wherever I'm around friends, wherever I'm I'm going to bring because it sounds like that moment. I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna look beyond this time. Like just get through this. Like I'm gonna enjoy every moment, and that's a choice. I just, I feel like so often in our culture right now, everything is somebody else's fault and I didn't have a choice and it, and it's not my fault and it's not this, it's everybody else. It's this, when you, you of all people had, had the opportunity to say that, look, this isn't my fault. I I didn't choose to have, I didn't choose to have this condition come over my entire body, nearly shutting down all of my organs, but regardless I'm going to dress up and I'm going to make other people laugh because I want to make their day better. Like you have a choice every day. And I just hope, I hope people hear that. I hope people choose to say like, I'm not going to succumb to whatever external circumstances that I can't control. But what I do with them is a hundred percent on me because again, the people that you Courtney have inspired, the people that you have put a smile on their face. I mean, the people that you knew your entire life. I mean, just conversations with them about you is that like, you can't not smile when you're around her. You can't <laughs> not soak up the energy that she has. And again, you were in a wheelchair, couldn't, couldn't even hold a wine glass. But I remember th- the one time that we actually physically met is <laughs> like left. And, and I look at my wife and Holly and, and, there was another person there at that time and and literally was like we're getting a bottle of wine let's go like let's get this like we can't not have a good time tonight and you know and and it's just there's there is it you put it perfectly perfectly like the energy there's a there's a power in tragedy and if you can go through that and i look at i look at people that have gone through the ultimate tragedy tragedy whether it be you know losing a child or going through having an accident um, you know, uh, a medical condition that takes everything away from you. When you can have that positive outlook, like that is the ultimate strength. I don't care who you are. Like that is the strongest thing that you can do. And honestly, like, mm. thank you for making that choice. Thank you for making the choice to just be a light in an otherwise pretty dark world. Thank you. That's a very nice thing to say. <laughs> so I want to hear more about this 500 mile yeah. Trek. So when you set this goal in your mind, well, hold on. Let's, let's go back. Let's go back. The rehab part, because we got to get to the walking part. Like I want to, well, hear that's what it. I was, when you set okay. that goal, where were you mobility wise? Were you, or, or maybe we are fast forwarding. I was not walking yet. <laughs> okay. I was in the hospital and had that moment of like, okay, everything I've lost everything that it, like everything about my life was different. Even when I moved home with my family who are incredible, amazing. I wish everyone had parents like mine and a sister like mine, but even that was a change mm. because when I left to go travel around the world, I was like, see ya, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go YOLO over here. And I never called. I, I barely came home. 
So it was a, it was a really good change. Yeah. The really good thing I got that I got to reconnect with my family. Like that's the best thing about this whole thing. Yeah. Is that it got me back home. My dad always says that and he usually cries. It's like this got you back home to us, baby. <laughs> I'm like, I know that. <laughs> Some about dads and daughters. I get yeah. it. I get it. Yeah. You don't, you will yeah. someday when yeah. you have you know your third and fourth and fifth. All three will be daughters. Easy. All Easy. three will be daughters. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. Go sorry, ahead. I just uh, sorry. I do that. I do that a lot. I apologize. I just no, cut cool. no we're hanging out. Tangents. Uh, okay, so so you make this decision before you're walking. Things are things yeah, are. Yeah, I just back thought, God, everything about my life has changed, and it's a really powerful question to ask yourself. And I had mentioned it earlier, but that moment of okay, my life has changed, and it's a change I didn't want. You know, I'm pushed into this. Like maybe when you retire from being an athlete, like, I don't know, just certain, certain moments where you're like, okay, like this change is happening, whether I wanted to change or not. Mm-hmm. And to ask yourself, because this change is happening, what opportunities are available to me now that wouldn't have been before that I'll love. So often I feel like when people's lives change, they try to get back there, get back to who they were, what they were feeling, who they were with, and you're trying to get back there. You're trying to recreate who you were. You know, especially when people, when they get illness, like, oh, I'm gonna get better from this illness and then I can go back to my life, but I'll be smarter and wiser. But you're like, if you're smarter and wiser, you're not gonna go backwards. You're gonna go backwards. (laughs) (laughs) No, it sounds obvious when you say that, but you're totally right. Yeah. Because I'm thinking about my own life changes and you're exactly right. What I was trying to do was go back Mm -hmm. and trying to recreate. So you're exactly right. But I don't know the way you say it. Now I'm a moron and, and I'm an idiot. <laughs> Thank you for finally getting that through to him. That makes no, me I mean, smile. It's a reaction. We always do it because that's been our learned experience. It's so much easier to associate the emotions we want to feel to when we felt them before. Right. Instead of like, oh, well, I can create new opportunities and new ways to feel that way mm-hmm. because it's unknown and you don't have that proof yet. Right. Yeah. 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 So you're like, I'm going to create these goals. And that's one of the opportunities that I think is in front of me. And that's what I'm going to work towards. Yeah. It was okay. I like now that I don't have all these strings attached, I can do things that people do when they have no strings attached. Cool. What does that look like? And also when you go through a change, a major change, it's super fun and healthy and amazing to think back to old dreams. Like what were my dreams before when I was younger? What were my dreams before I got married before I started that job before I got paralyzed. Like, what were those dreams? And can I, can I achieve any of them now that I'm in a different position because I couldn't have done it then. So it's really powerful, like self-evaluation. And yeah, I thought, okay, well, it takes 35 days to hike across Spain. You start at the border of France and then you walk to the ocean. And I, I never had time to do that before. And having like a vision of, or a big why, you know, knowing your why of, where you're headed and what you want to accomplish is so motivating. Yes. And that was a good why for me. Like, okay, this will be my happy ending. I'm going to focus on my health. I'm going to give myself permission to only care about healing and getting better physically because what the investment I put into that now is going to mirror my quality of life the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. So I've got to just give myself permission to not be a good friend right now, to miss birthdays, to not focus on my career. I need to give everything I have to this. And then I can do that other stuff later. 
that's such a hard thing for people to do sometimes because they think, oh, I can't be a bad friend or mm-hmm. I can't do that. And it's like, well, you're not that. It's just a right now thing. It's temporary. Like things are temporary and that's okay. And um, yeah, so I, I focused on that. And then I thought once I hike across Spain, it's going to be amazing. And then I can be re-released out into the wild. <laughs> and that'll be my big finale. So... I mean, w- walk us through that process then. Like, okay, I made that goal. I have this to work on. I'm focusing on myself. Um, I don't have to be all things to all people. Um, so maybe get quickly tap on like, okay, what's that rehab process? Like, I mean, I'm sure ups and downs, right? Some days are good days. Some days are bad days. But like, take us to that day when you, you walk on your own for the first time. You're like, I'm doing this and I'm going to be hiking in Spain in no time. Oh my gosh, it was so funny because, you know, you just walk like a toddler. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't realize once I started walking again, my balance was going to be so bad because I never had bad balance before. Yeah. And then I started walking and I don't have good ankle strength at all, even still. So my balance was horrible. Whoa. Wasn't expecting that. So you walk around, you know how toddlers put their arms up yeah. when they're walking? <laughs> yep. So like I, was, I still do that when I walk up and down stairs or downstairs. I'm like, right. <laughs> I... I was, I don't know. It was so frustrating. It was really, really frustrating. The whole thing, every moment, basically. But on the day I walked again, you know, you're, you're thinking about when you really want something, you start focusing on all the little things you need to do to make it happen. Uh And it becomes complicated when you're trying to look at that many things at one time. And that's what I was doing. I was like, I need to swing my arms. I need to make sure I lift my foot. I need to shift my weight. I need to keep my chin up. I need to tuck my butt, all this stuff that they were teaching me. And then I just was like so awkward. And then I'm sitting there, I took a deep breath and I said to myself, just walk. (laughs) And what I meant by that is don't keep thinking about all these little things. Don't keep thinking about all the stuff that needs to be done to make this happen. Like your body knows what to do. You've done this your whole life until recently. Like, just let your body just go and get out of your head. So I got out of my head and I started walking. It was crazy. Also, I walked around the whole room. It wasn't even like like, it, like that to make two steps to walk around the whole room. Goodness. Wow. It was wild. But it was like when I just said, just walk and I just let things happen. Like I just let my body do it. It did it when yeah. I got my brain and like ego and thoughts out of the way. But it was cool. It was awesome. It wasn't, you know, everyone says like, oh, what was it like to walk again? Try walking if you can't stand up. Mm. Because standing up is harder than walking. Mm. And I still couldn't stand up. So I still, you know, was stuck in chairs, stuck on toilets. Like you can't go anywhere unless you can stand up. And standing up is way harder. If you talk to anybody who went a period of time not walking, I guarantee everyone will say that it was the standing up part that was more emotional. And yeah, that happened pretty shortly after that. But the standing up was a, was a big one. It was a big deal. And when I finally stood up, the walking was fun. But when I finally stood up, I started crying, not because I was happy, but because it was still so hard. Yeah. And I was exhausted. Wow. And I was so sick of trying to stand up for months, for months and months and months I'd been trying. And it finally happened, but it was still so hard. And a lot of those suppressed emotions I had, like, don't be upset, 
don't be sad, don't be mad, don't be hurt, don't be embarrassed. They started to come out as soon as I stood up because I didn't have to suppress them anymore. I, I could feel them then because I could stand up now. So they just kind of like all came up. Yeah. That's when the that's when the hard work started. Now it's like, all right, now I'm standing up. Now, gosh. So so you stand up and how from the point where you were unable to walk that that time you went from the bathroom to your room to okay i can stand up i can get up myself and i can walk and get myself to places so what was it how long was that period like nine months Golly. Mm. but my arms were longer i i couldn't mm. use my hands for over a year so oh, i couldn't yeah. wipe myself dress myself pull my pants down you know all that stuff I could feed myself, but it's because they put this tool on my hand with the fork. Yeah. So my hand, I didn't have to use my hand. I just fed myself using this tool, holding the fork on my hand. So is, are your, are your, like, are your toes and feet? I mean, are those functioning somewhat normal? Is it extremities that were attacked more or is it just your hands? With my diagnosis, the closer to the toes and closer to the fingers, the worse it is. Okay. Okay. So is that something continually you're just going to continue to have to work on to hopefully get something back? You know, I, I tried really hard for three years and the third year, probably like three and a half years, the last year of trying, when I say trying, I was going to some type of treatment therapy or exercise about 30 hours a week. And so I was giving everything I had to it. And the last year of recovery I didn't have a return on that investment of time and money and energy. Like I wasn't getting really stronger and I was trying so hard. And, you know, you always see people with disabilities or you think, oh, if I got injured, like I would make a full recovery because I would try as hard as I could. Well, I did try as hard as I could. There's not, there's not anything else in my life I can say that I really tried the hardest I could. And I wasn't, I was, I was at a point where I just wasn't going to see improved function, which was hard. You know, I'm talking about the Camino de Santiago in my dreams. I always thought my last day I crossed the finish line, I'd go, you know, like I said, be re-released out into the wild and start my life. But in that dream, I didn't realize on my last day, I would still be disabled forever. Mm-hmm. I would have disability in my hands and right leg forever. And that was hard. That was the only time I really kind of got depressed was the moment I realized I'd always be disabled. And that was heavy. That was hard. But I ran around, I ran away to Morocco, got an Airbnb, did 18 days of fasting and got my head back on straight. 18 days. (laughs) You celebrated a 500 mile hike with fasting. Yeah. Well, you are so much mentally stronger than I am for (laughs) sure. (laughs) No, it was because on the the hike, I ate so much bread and wine that I was like, I needed to like, Get this cleaned up. This oh, body yeah. needs to clean out. Right. So you get done with Morocco, and then where did you get? What year are we talking here? This is at the end of uh, 2019. Okay. 19. Okay. And then, uh, and then 20, nothing really happened nothing, in 2020. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty quiet, pretty, basic, pretty calm, normal year. <laughs> but um, you moved to Mexico. So what was what was the decision there? What? Why? I mean, you shared earlier, like, hey, I just want to go somewhere and it's actually pretty awesome. But like, what was that decision to to fully move to Cabo? Yeah, 
I mean, if so anybody's been there, they're like, you idiot, why are you asking that question? Is when I went to the ashram and did the 120 hour Hatha yoga intensive, that was kind of like my last Hail Mary to see if I could improve my body at all. Yeah. And then I get home in February and you know, y'all know the rest. Yeah. The world shuts down. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, well, I'm taking this as a big, big sign from somebody, God, universe, whatever you want to call it, to sit back down. You're not going anywhere. You're not ready. You know, and I, so I said, okay, well, I'm going to accept this time. I'm going to keep walking, spend time with my family. I'm just be here and try a little harder for a little longer. So I kept going to, oh, I did some stuff they do for the Dallas Cowboys. It was some kind of machine where they put it on. It hurts really bad. It like electrocutes your whole. Yeah. The stem machine. Your muscles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The yeah. stem, yeah. Yep. The arc wave, that's what it's called. Oh, the arc wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like an ultrasound, but it stimulates. So they'll run the, yeah, anyways. It hurts. Yes, not fun. But it it, it, it gets them them jumping. It's a stem and ultrasound combo. Gotcha. Yeah. So I was doing that and other stuff, really just being like, well, I'm here, so I'm going to keep trying. And I still wasn't seeing results. And then I just got really antsy. You know, COVID went on, quarantine went on. And I thought, you know, I've done this. At first, it was it was awesome. I'm like, yeah, y'all know what it's like now to have to stay home. <laughs> Welcome to my and I world. Felt like I wasn't missing out on anything anymore, and I actually felt like I was like I, I was going to get more compassion and empathy. I'm like, yeah, you know, like that's what I've been doing. I've been going for walks around the neighborhood, and you know, not being able to go anywhere. But eventually, I got over it, just like everybody else. But I was really over it because I'd already spent years mm-hmm. doing that. So I couldn't go to Bali, couldn't go a lot of places. In Cabo, you can drive to. You know, I drove in through Tecate, which is kind of close to Tijuana. Mm -hmm. I could drive here so I could have a car. It was warm, like cold weather is hard. You know, and I know anybody that's had injuries can understand that. The cold weather just hurts your nerves and hurts, makes pain worse. So it's warm here year-round. My family loves to visit here. I have friends that like to visit here, so it'd be a new place with some of my old life that would come to visit. And it's dry. It's yeah. dry. It's like a desert. There's, it doesn't really rain much here. The weather is pretty nice year round. Sounds so like Texas. Not so much. <laughs> so what do you do for a living now? What is, what, what's your vocation? Yeah, well, I do motivational speaking and I'm really excited because live events are starting again. So oh, I'm yeah. still for that. I've got a couple of those at the end of the year. Yeah, and then I just started writing my book, uh, but mm. weekly I have a membership group where I teach personal development to people that have had major life changes or health conditions. Yes. And then I, I also work part-time for a marketing agency for copywriting stuff. Mm. Awesome. Yeah, I'd say if there's anybody qualified to discuss personal development, I, I'd say you, you're right <laughs> at the top of that list. We- weird question, uh, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I hope it's weird. What is it? <laughs> it's weird to me. What do you miss most about that time? About being paralyzed? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can say nothing, like any, yeah. No, but that's not true. You know, uh, it doesn't matter what period of time we're in and what our situation is. There's always something about that time period you'll miss. And I knew I you would answer that way. That's that. why I asked. Yeah, I have two answers for that. The first is... You know, even at the time, I thought, okay, one day I'm going to have all these expectations of me again. I'll be working, you know, married one day. Like, who knows what will happen? But 
people are going to expect things of me. That's mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Like all when I was paralyzed, you know, even when I was capable of like calling somebody back or I don't know, people say, Oh no, don't worry. Like you're going through so much. Don't even think about us, you know? And, but it's just like, no one had any expectations of you or judgments and everyone's so loving and compassionate in a, but at that time I remember thinking, okay, I'm laying in bed all day watching Will Ferrell movies, talking to my friends on the phone. One day I'm going to be like, I wish I could just stay at home all day in bed watching Will Ferrell movies, talking yeah. to my friends on the phone. Yeah. So I was like, I just want to really like appreciate this quiet, relaxed time in life where I'm not, I don't have responsibilities and I don't have people expecting things of me. The second is I had two, you guys asked me who took care of me and I had two best friends that were very present. We did a documentary together actually. And one of those two friends got cancer. And these are my two best friends. And she passed away uh, June 24th, 2020. And it was lung cancer, she's not a smoker, she was 33. And something I tell people when they're like, oh, like I'm going through this health condition and going through this situation and it sucks. It's like when I was at my worst, her name's Tressa. Tressa like snuck me out of the hospital one time and we were running down the street with my wheelchair. And like, I went swimming in the ocean again for the first time with her, but she held my hand. And then she like dumped me underwater, which I could drown. And then she would fish me out laughing. <laughs> and you know, it's- That's a I real would, best I friend. I used to talk to her. It, when I started walking on my walker, the first mile I ever walked was on my walker and it took me 45 minutes to walk my first mile on that walker. And I used to walk all the time behind my parents' house with my walker, just trying to get stronger. And I would talk to Tressa on the phone. She would just talk to me for hours while I'm just out there walking. And she died. And even at our worst times, there's people in your life. There's things in your life that aren't always going to be there. Mm -hmm. And there's always something in every part of our lives that we're going to miss one day. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly actually why I asked that question. I didn't know, you know, about Tressa, obviously, and I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, but, but that, that is why I asked that question because I, I had, I, I was just imagining this whole time, the people that were there closest with you in that time, you formed a bond together that can't be replicated any other way. We talk about it all the time. You the people you suffer together with, you, you, you get closer than any other relationship. And so that's what I'm sitting here thinking this whole time is, is I can't imagine how close you got to people during that time. The people that were there with you day in and day out. I mean, that bond that you formed with them is unmatched. Yeah, so many. And, you know, it's true. You don't owe anyone your life. But there's people that did things for me that you, they would appreciate. I didn't even say on a podcast because <laughs> they're so intimate. But there's things people did for me that are just crazy supportive and amazing and those people that were there like i don't owe them my life but i want to give them anything i can for the rest of my life it's like this special place in your heart mm. that's just can't you know can't be tethered like it can't be shaken it's just like this this need to reciprocate and show how important that was that they did mm. gosh that's you're so you're amazing Yes. Well, Courtney, uh, there's still some, some beach weather out there. We're not going to keep you the whole time, <laughs> but honestly, from both of us, mm -hmm. thank you for, for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing 
your mindset. I think there's so much that we can take from that that you shared today um, that I just I hope more people look at life through through your eyes um, because I think I think we would we would have a much better much better world uh, if that were the case. Um, but Courtney, I want to I want to if anybody's out there that would like to hear you or mm-hmm. you come in and speak. How can they find you? How can they connect with you? What's, you know, give us so, some social media, any contacts that you'd like to share? Because we'd love for people to, because I'm telling you, like, mm-hmm. I can't imagine in person. I don't, I don't know how much you're traveling right now, but like, literally, like, just the impact really, truly, you will feel it when Courtney is in the room, guaranteed. Yep. Thank you. That's really sweet. Yeah, we'd love anyone to reach out if you, if that feels right, if you want to. You can join my Facebook group community. It's just called Unicort Community. Yeah. Unicort is U-N-I-C-O-R-T. There's a whole story behind that. That was basically like my superhero alter ego. Yeah. I think in psychology they call it disassociation, but whatever. <laughs> it works great. Details, details. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then TikTok, Instagram, it's Unicort Life is my unicorn life. life. Okay. At unicorn life. I love it. Yeah. I we'll, love it. We'll be, we'll be sharing some of your things. Um, but again, if you can, if you can just go check out some of her stuff, you know, and, and the, the, the journey that you shared, I mean, I would highly encourage it because mm-hmm. like, again, just get emotional, just watching just the perseverance and strength and mindset that, that you had. And, you know, a bunch of your videos of you, are you in like wigs and costumes and all that? And it's just like, really, truly you watch it. Like, that is amazing. Yeah, I think that's my biggest takeaway from your story is is the choice that you have in the darkest moments. It's and, not that you need to buy a wig. Well, that too. That too. I'm going to go buy a wig as well. <laughs> no, but I, I, I do appreciate you so much and, and your story. And, and, and your story is exactly why when, I, when, when we envision this podcast and the encouragement that we want to be to people and, and the impact that we want to make, it's because of people like you mm-hmm. and your story. And so thank you so much for sharing that. We're truly changed now. I know our listeners are going to be changed. Uh, and we look forward to the day that we get to meet you in person because yeah. uh, you are doing amazing things. Thank you so much. I would love that. And thank you for having me. You don't have many girls, so I feel very honored. <laughs> yes, we, <laughs> right. we definitely That's need right. to up our um, female guest game. That's right. No doubt. That's right. But uh, but thanks and yeah so we'll just we'll be down in Cabo in a couple of weeks to come visit you I mean you said we got a place to stay right we'll just we'll bring the whole crew I got I got six of us Ben's Ben's got four of them we'll just come crash at your place right Yeah totally I'm okay, in cool. I've got a guest bedroom the bed's small but I think the four hey, we'll, sorry, if you if you figured out thirty countries in a year yeah. figuring out sleep we'll, we'll figure it out yeah, that's right. <laughs> thank you so much Courtney thanks Courtney thank you all right bye bye.